Good morning, Fig Tree Anglican. I'm reading from 2 Corinthians, and it's a quote from Isaiah, which says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's pray. We praise you, Lord of salvation. We praise you that you do rescue us, your creation. That now is the day of salvation for all around the world. Amidst all the troubles and trauma of the current times, you are our hope and the lover of our souls. Help us to cleave to you in love. We thank you, Lord, for the World Missions Conference events held over the past week and the impact that they have made on our understanding and commitment of what it means to go, send and serve. We pray for our 2021 mission partners that you would continue to sustain them in every way and bring many more people around our world into relationship with Jesus. We pray for our friends in Dubai. Bless them with a new senior pastor, more church leaders and continued growth in their work. We pray for EE Hope for Kids, that there will be continued success in training church leaders to teach children in Sunday school the truth of the gospel and how to share it with their friends and families. We pray also for African Enterprise and their work in Kinshasa as they reach out with the good news through volunteer evangelists and continue with self-help and trauma healing programs for the most vulnerable. We pray for those studying and working at Nungalinya Bible College in Bible Translation. May they work, their work bring revival in the souls of many Aboriginal people throughout Australia as they read about Jesus in their own language. We pray also for the work of Moklan, teaching the word to so many in the Spanish-speaking world in Latin America. And we also pray, Lord, for the McGraths working in the Bush Church Aid Society in Jindabyne. May they have wisdom and insight to know how best to reach the local population there. We pray that as a church community, the World Missions Conference would have encouraged and challenged us to be generous in financial support of gospel ministry worldwide and faithful in prayer for our mission partners. We also pray that out of our church community, you would continue to raise up and send willing members to go and serve you around the world. We pray too, Lord, that you will be reaching your hand of healing, comfort, mercy and justice in the many difficult situations which have arisen recently. For the worsening COVID situation in Australia and elsewhere in the world, the earthquake in Haiti, the floods in Turkey and Europe and the bushfires all around the Mediterranean and America. May you heal those who are ill or have been hurt. Comfort those who have lost loved ones or properties. Strengthen those who are on the front line and bring wisdom to those who govern. And for the situation in Afghanistan, we pray for the safety of those who are at risk because they have helped the Allied forces. For women and children who are vulnerable and may face increasing oppression and safety for those who are from minority and persecuted ethnic groups. Please let your hands stay the violence that was previously part of this regime. 
Lord, we pray for your loving grace upon our church here at Fig Tree. Thank you for the offertory given and may it be used faithfully and wisely. May you bless us with a senior minister who will lead this congregation out of this challenging time and into the future. And may you help us to continue on the path of being faithful, adventurous and compassionate. Amen. This week we've witnessed the overthrow of the government in Afghanistan and the assumption of power by the Taliban. There have been scenes of terrible desperation and chaos. Afghan people, including many who've come to Australia as refugees, are in great distress. We've heard the voices especially of women who are afraid and uncertain of what their future holds. Australia has been involved for 20 years in the effort to establish stable and peaceful life in Afghanistan. We know too that Christians have been serving in aid and development, in health and education, and in seeing the Lord's Church built. For the families of the 41 soldiers who gave their lives in Afghanistan, and for soldiers who returned from there bearing the scars of war and their families, these have been days of anger, grief and disbelief. Australian forces at the moment are seeking to evacuate Australians from Kabul, as well as Afghans who were essential in the effort uh, of Australian troops. In Psalms we read, The Lord comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord redeems his servants. None who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let us pray. Almighty God, creator and preserver of our world, we pray today for peace. Have mercy on our broken and divided world and banish the spirit that makes for war. We ask that leaders of nations and governments will pursue freedom, justice and the welfare of all people. We pray especially for all affected by the escalating turmoil and tragic events in Afghanistan. Help the leaders of nations to protect the vulnerable and to establish justice and peace. Restrain the forces of evil and protect men and especially women and children from Taliban forces. We also pray for Christian brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Preserve their lives and strengthen their witness in this land of deep spiritual darkness and despair. We pray for Afghan refugees who have made Australia their home and for those who are anxious about family in Afghanistan. Comfort them, we pray, and may they find hope and peace in their distress, in the knowledge of your Son, our Lord Jesus. And we pray, Father, for the veterans of our Defence Force who have served in Afghanistan and their families. Sustain these men and women who have served our country. May they receive the care and support they need at this time of disappointment and discouragement. Heavenly Father, in an uncertain world, please turn the hearts of all people to your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and to the peace that passes all understanding. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for praying. Good morning, Church. The reading today is from 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 5 to 8. Join me as I read God's word. But you... 
Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Well, it's a big one. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for being with us. And uh, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to bring a message, because uh, we need to get back into the swing of things. It's been six, I think, seven weeks now that we've been essentially doing devotions in this style. But the reality is we are going to be coming out of lockdown. Let's believe it's sometime before Jesus comes back that we'll be coming out of lockdown. Uh, so we need to uh, start to move towards that. And uh, I thought it'd be great for me to bring a message. And I also have the honor today of also speaking, not just to our own staff, but to Fig Tree Anglican Church World Missions Conference. And it's an honor for us to be partners with you in this mission conference and in the expansion of the kingdom of God. It's also an incredible honor for me to be able to bring the word to you this morning, as it is uh, for us to have you as long-term partners with Bible Society on Bible Missions. So I hope this message uh, ministers and brings life to you this morning. So Lord, we commit this time to you. We commit our message. Uh, we commit uh, our hearts and minds to you. I commit this message to you, Lord. I pray that Holy Spirit, you'll do what only you can do. And that is to take words that come out of my mouth. I'm just a normal everyday person, but you can take your word in my mouth and make it apply to people in their situations and their circumstances and their everyday real world lives. I thank you for this and Holy Spirit, we're so dependent on you and give you all the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of my message this morning is Margaret Finlay, My Scripture Teacher. Margaret Finlay, My Scripture Teacher. Now, many people, I, in fact, I don't expect anybody here would know who Margaret Finlay is, but I'll get to that in a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So Paul is talking to Timothy and he's painting a picture, a narrative of what it is to be a Jesus follower in a culture that is anti the gospel, that is anti the message of Christ. And he talks about it using these metaphors of it being a fight, a race and a faith to be kept. That means for us today as New Testament believers, people who have a sense of the call of God in our lives, people who are all about the kingdom being established and being on mission for uh, Him, for the Lord, that we have a fight to fight, that we have a race to run and that we have a faith to keep. And everybody here has a fight to fight. And right now, in terms of where you're at, whether you're um, in a local church or you're on a staff team or whether you're in a missions endeavor, whatever you're doing, whether you're part of our team here at Bible Society, you've got to fight to fight. You've got to fight to fight for your faith. You've got to fight to fight for your health. You've got to fight to fight for the gospel. You've got to, we've got to fight to fight for marriages and families. We've got to fight to fight. And we as believers should never ever actually really be surprised when things come against us or when we're buffeted by opposition and things come against us because of the kingdom, because we are called to fight a fight. We've got to fight 
to fight as believers. The second thing is we've got a race to run. Everybody here has a race to run. God designed you in a certain way. He built gifting and capacity inside of you to make a contribution. He has put his, uh, his spirit on you and in you, and, and you have a, a race to run, a mission to accomplish, a contribution to make. And that's going to require endurance. That's about long-term thinking. That's about generations. And that's about having a missional impact in Australia and around the world to expand the kingdom of God. And we've got a faith to keep. We've got a faith to keep in a culture that is changing, in a culture that is antagonistic towards the gospel. We've got a faith to keep that is um, something that's powerful and precious to us. And we've got to keep that faith until the end. And so Paul talks about following Jesus and serving Him in terms of a fight to fight, a race to run, and a faith to keep. And as blood-bought people who have been saved by what Jesus did for us. We aren't just saved for ourselves. We're saved to make a contribution. We're saved and called to see the kingdom of God expand. Hebrews chapter 12 comes on the back of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is one of the great chapters in the Bible that talks about the heroes of faith and it talks about you know, the, uh, the things they did and um, some of the mighty achievements they had and others suffered in faith and, um, and ultimately all were thinking about a kingdom that wasn't of this earth, but a kingdom that's in the future. And it ends up with a writer of Hebrews saying at the beginning of verse 12, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so that there are these witnesses, imagine witnesses looking down from heaven and cheering us on. We've just seen the Olympic Games and they had pretty much nobody in the stadiums. But normally you would see a great crowd of people cheering on the, you know, the athletes. And that's kind of this image of witnesses cheering us on. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So we've got our own personal battles, everybody, and that's where we need the grace of God. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, the shame that comes with being a Christ follower. Jesus despised that. There was shame put on Jesus. He despised that. And to despise is to say it has, it has no value. It has no worth. And is seated right now at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the shedding of your blood. So you can see very similar uh, language between 2 Timothy 4.7, which is a fight to fight. There's a race to run. There's a faith to keep. And then here in Hebrews chapter 12, Paul talks about laying aside every weight, fighting against sin, clinging to Jesus, enduring to the cross and despising the shame because there is a great prize set before us. Well, that all sounds fantastic. And it is fantastic and it is true and it is real. But what does it mean for us in our everyday real lives? You know, when I went to school, my mum, she told me, if they ask you what church you go to, write down on the piece of paper, capital C, small o, capital E. It stands for Church of England. So I went, okay, okay, capital C, small o, capital E. And when it came to school and they said, what church or what religion are you? I said, COE. 
And they said, okay, Church of England. Ironically, um, I don't know exactly know why mums did that because we grew up in a home where we didn't go to the Church of England. In fact, we didn't go to any church. Mum and dad were pretty much agnostics or atheists. And I grew up in a home, we never went to church at all. But when it came to school, I was told, you're the COE, you're the Church of England. So I put my name down on the form, tick the box, whatever it was. And then in 1980, when I was in fourth grade, I was 10 years old, we all got stood up in class and we said, we're going to go to an assembly. Now I used to like assemblies because sometimes I would find the classroom boring and the teacher would be talking about whatever. And I was a 10 year old kid and I was bored and distracted. And so it was what it was. So it was assembly time. So we all get in our little lines and we walk up to the school hall and it was the Borkham Hills Public School Hall. It was 19. 80, and I went to the COE scripture class. And I remember sitting there. I didn't know much. I didn't go to church. All I knew was I was sitting in the school hall. It was scripture. And this lady started talking about these five colors. She said, this is uh, black for sin, red, which represents the blood of Jesus, white, which means you've been washed clean from your sin, green, everything is new, and gold talks about heaven and eternity. And I went home that night as a 10-year-old kid, laid in my bed and prayed a prayer and had this overwhelming sense as I prayed to Jesus of being literally just like washed white, like paint was going down the inside of my soul, white paint. I remember just feeling this sense of like, what was that? What was that? And it was, it was I believe, a salvation moment for me. And it was a scripture teacher that did that, that sowed that seed into a young child's heart. Fast forward 20 years. Hang on a second. I'm taking off my jacket. I'm hot here. Fast forward 20 years. I was a young pastor. I just left the corporate world. I'd taken a 55% pay cut. I'd gone to work as a, in the past, started in the pastoral ministry, um, you know, serving God full-time in the ministry. I was, um, you know, my job at the time was the assistant, assistant thingamabob for the small groups. That was my title very high and lofty. And so I was there and I was working with the adult small groups in our church at the time and went along to this, this small group and met this lady who was named was Margaret Finlay. And she got to asking me how I heard about the gospel. And I got to telling her, her my story only to find out that in 1980 at Borkham Hills Public School Hall, Margaret Finlay was the scripture teacher who was there that year sharing the gospel faithfully serving God and making a difference in people's lives. And 20 years later, to be able to have that moment, that God enabled me to have a moment that I connected with somebody who maybe in the world's eyes wasn't powerful, wasn't wealthy, maybe didn't have all this political power, but was faithfully serving God and on mission to, to expand the kingdom of God and make a difference. And I just want to make a shout out to Margaret Finlay, who the reality is she'll never see this message, but it's those people. All of us have those Margaret Finlays in our lives and all of us can be the Margaret Finlays in other people's lives to make a difference. It doesn't have to be prominent. It doesn't have to be significant in the sense of, you know, public, but it can be quietly making a difference to expand the kingdom of God in other people's lives. Psalm chapter five is a powerful psalm. It's not a long psalm and I'm just gonna quickly read it. Then pull out four simple thoughts that can help us all as we want to consider what it means for us to be people who are on mission for God and people who are committed to expanding His kingdom, which means we're up for the fight, we're in the race, 
and we're keeping our faith. Psalm chapter 5 says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. We just heard um, uh, Emily talk about the power of, you know, devotions and making sure she's spending time on the Word. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice and a watch. And that's a good reminder for all of us in the middle of lockdowns, not to climb out of bed and still be in our tracky dacks at 3 p.m. in the afternoon if we're working from home, but to be making sure we're keeping some of those healthy disciplines to keep ourselves healthy. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. I don't think God hates people, but he hates what he hates evil. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful person. But through the abundance of your steadfast love, I will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in fear of you. Lead me in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. In other words, when enemies are coming against me, when things are coming against me, make a way, make a clear way in front of me, Lord. Lead me in your righteousness, he says, for there is no truth in their mouths. He says, make them bear their guilt, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. Spread your protection over your people, Lord, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover them with favor as with a shield. The Lord blesses the righteous and we're not righteous in our own strength. We're righteous because of what Jesus has done for us. But can you imagine or picture the image of a shield resting over you? And that's the favor of God and his protection sitting over you. And here's the main idea. As a Jesus follower, I need to stay focused on the mission that he has for me to expand his kingdom. God has given me something to do. And what that means is I'm up for the fight. I'm focused on my race and I'm enduring with my faith. Four things. Number one, stop trying to control what you can't. Stop trying to control what you can't control. The psalmist here says, give ear to my words, consider my groaning, give attention. He's saying, I'm praying out to you, Lord. There's this image of this dependency on God. There's this image that I'm not actually in control of my life. And if this pandemic has proven anything to all the control freaks out there, like me, it's that we're not in control of our lives. We have very little control over what's going on. God is ultimately in control. We can trust Him. We're, our lives are in His hands. We know that. But sometimes it's good to have situations happen that remind us that we have to be utterly dependent on Him. And there's a temptation to want to control things. When I was a young kid, my next door neighbor I used to go over to the house and play with their kids and jump on their trampoline and, you know, they, they, were, they were friends with the next-door neighbor's kids. And they had this um, pressure cooker pot and it was one of those old-school pressure cooker pots and you would, like, bolt down the lid and you would put all this water in there and then you would put, like, whatever you were pressure cooking, whatever the food was, and you would put it on the stove and you would get it really, really hot. The idea it was build up, it would build up all this steam and it would get really, really hot. You would cook it for several hours and you'd have this pressure cooking 
uh, pressure cooked food. Anyway, those that pressure cooked, it was a big silver bowl and it would like sort of shake and you could see all the pressure in it and it had like a release valve and you could pull the valve and all this steam would come shooting out of the pressure cooker pot. And I feel like that image of a pressure cooker pot is how many people right now in lockdown with COVID, with fear, with contention in the air and online, that's what it feels like. It feels like there's just so much pressure. There's so much pressure. And if we're not careful, we can keep trying to do what we did, were, were doing before all this happened. And it just builds up like a huge pressure cooker. And I think not only do we need to let the steam out of the pot to some extent, I think for some of us, we've actually got to turn the heat down. We've got to take the lid off. We've got to let the steam out of the cooker and we've got to take the pressure off. We've got to take the pressure off ourselves. And for some people, the goal isn't necessarily right now to be as productive as I once was. My goal is to come out of this healthy and happy and ready to re-engage with the calling and the kingdom once things get back to normal. And I want our staff and team and I want every believer and every Christian and every local church to come out of this with a sense that we're still on purpose, God's still in control. And in the midst of all this craziness, I've made the adjustments that I need to make to let the pressure off. Maybe I'm going to give myself a bit more space. Maybe I'm going to be kinder to myself. Maybe I'm going to talk to somebody about some of the challenges. Maybe I'm going to have to not be able to do as much as I once did because I'm letting the pressure out so that in this time of heat, I can make it through. Number two, commit to being a person of godly integrity that is fit for the master's use. Psalm chapter 5, verse 4 says, You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You hate the, the work of evil. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful person. So it paints this very negative image of what happens when, you know, of God's view really of, of evil and, and, and what can be in, you know, human hearts. And we know as believers that sin is a part of humanity and we know that we all need to be redeemed. So we're not judging anybody. We're not condemning anybody. What we're doing is making a distinction between those who are Jesus followers and the commitment that they have in their hearts to be people of righteousness and people of um, you know, godliness and integrity versus those who aren't Jesus followers. And it's good for us to think about this sometimes. What kind of person do we want to be? Don't be two-faced. Don't be the kind of person when you talk about the word integrity, and I've said this before, one of the definitions or the word pictures of integrity is if you think structural integrity, think civil engineer or mechanical engineer, think a huge big building like what I'm standing in right now, it has structural integrity. That means that the footings are structurally, they have integrity. There's no fault. There's no crack. The steel beams aren't twisted. You know, sometimes you can weld um, uh, steel together and you've got to, and people have to x-ray steel to make sure that it's actually got integrity. There isn't a crack in the steel because when the pressure comes on, the steel cracks and the building falls down. So let's commit to be building our character and be people of integrity. One of our staff members, Kylie Beach. I love Kylie. I've known her for a long time. And I see her as a person of integrity. And one of the things I love about Kylie is that um, if you know Kylie, 
you'll know that she'll tell you exactly what she thinks. And I love that. And I also love that she would have to be one of the most loyal people that I can think of behind your back. She's just not two-faced. She'll tell you what she thinks to a face, but to your face, but I know that she's the kind of person that doesn't say things about people behind their back without saying it to their face. And I think that is a really admirable quality. And that kind of loyalty, that kind of loyalty is so precious and so rare. And I just think it's a, she's a, in that area, she's a great example for people to, that we can be people of integrity, that we can be people that let our yes be yes and our no be no and be committed to being people of integrity because then when the pressure comes, we can handle the heat. Number three, humility. Humility makes a way. Verse seven, excuse me, verse eight says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Lead me in your righteousness. In other words, Lord, I don't know all the answers. I need to keep a humility. I need to keep an open mind. I need to understand that, you know, having all these plans and all these dreams and desires, they're all absolutely fantastic. But you need to know that God is in the business, not in the business of making your dreams come true. He's in the business of making His Word and His purpose come true. And the more we can align ourselves with His actions and His kingdom and where He's moving, then the more we can be in, in tune with what He's blessing and we can get in the flow of the expansion of His kingdom. I heard someone say this once and I think it's really true. It says, you're not as bad as your critics say you are and you're not as good as your supporters say you are. You're not as bad as your critics say you are. In fact, you know, I don't like criticism, but I listen to it because I'm listening to what, you know, critics and enemies, so to speak. Uh, I mean, not that we've got all these enemies, but you know, critics are saying because we can learn from that. We can see things from a different perspective. I don't agree with them necessarily, but I do listen. But you're also not as good as your supporters say you are. And sometimes we can surround ourselves with people who are just always telling us, oh, how wonderful everything is and how fantastic everything is. And the reality is it might not be that wonderful. We've got to keep a balance in our thinking. And I think keeping a humbleness about looking to the Lord, about listening to the Lord, about keeping a humility in terms of our capacity and where we're at and what we need to do and keeping big dreams in front of us for kingdom expansion is all just so powerful and humility will make a way. And the final thought is this, please, 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 let's not be sideline critics. Let's not be sideline critics. Psalm 5 verse 9 says, there is no truth in their mouth. There is no truth in their mouth. There is no truth in their mouth. And that's the challenge with criticism and critics. As I said, I listen to them. I don't necessarily agree with them because I understand that often there is no truth in their mouth. Often it's spin, often it's perspective, and often it's driven by agendas and hate and whatever else. But we've also got to understand that uh, our perspective isn't always correct, just as their perspective isn't always correct. And we've got to keep looking to the Lord for truth but one of the worst things we can do is just be a constant critic of other people, of other mission, of other churches, of other not-for-profits, of other 
charities, of other people who are stepping out and doing something great for God, people who are stepping out to expand the kingdom. And, and, and if we just become a sideline critic, if I just become a critic, oh, that's, you know, they don't know what they're doing. Oh, I don't agree with them on this particular fine point of doctrine. Oh, they're not necessarily exactly in my tribe. Oh, I don't like this about that. And I, oh, they said this. And I think if we become sideline critics... All we're doing is enabling the enemy's plan, which is to come against the church, come against the kingdom and distract and take us off track. You know, there is nothing worse than someone, I think, who has a leadership and responsibility in one area, looking over the fence, so to speak, and criticizing someone who's got a leadership responsibility in another area. It'd be like me looking at uh, our, uh, let's just say our accounting team, which I am not criticizing at all. This is just, this is a good analogy because I think our accounting team is amazing. Amazing. Um, but it'd be like me saying, okay, okay, here I am. I'm not an accountant. And, and I think I need to get in there and I need to show them how to fix their systems. I think their spreadsheets are faulty. I don't like how they're running their balance sheet, you know, um, I don't like, uh, you know, this new accounting software. I don't agree with how we coded that, you know, expense into whatever, whatever. I'm thinking, what do I know? I'm not an accountant. And it's like, you know, to be honest with you, I'm getting on a little rant right now. I'm getting on my soapbox, but I've been vaccinated twice, had two of my shots, and I'm actively encouraging everybody to get vaccinated. And I'm actively encouraging everybody to listen to the real experts and be careful about what, you know, you see on social media. I'm saying to people, I'm encouraging people to get vaccinated. And it's sometimes you can say, well, I saw a 30-second video from someone on social media and, you know, it said that blah, 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 blah about the vaccines. And I'm saying, stop. Look to the experts. Look to the professionals. Look to the people who have gone to university and everything else and listen to them. So let's not be sideline critics. Let's not be sideline critics about... Uh, people in other areas. Let's not be sideline critics about other people who are on mission for God. And let's not be sideline critics for someone else's area of responsibility. I love this quote and I'll finish with it. It says this, Dr. John Piper, Christianity is not a crusade against anything. It is a mission to save sinners and restore the moral beauty of the bride of Christ a mission pursued by the cross of Christ through the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. I love that quote. I'll read it one more time. It says, Christianity is not a crusade against anything. It is a mission to save sinners and restore the moral beauty of Christ, a mission pursued by the cross of Christ through the power of the Spirit for the glory of God. Lord, we thank you that we can be a people a team, a church that is on mission. On mission for you as Jesus followers, on mission to you to make a difference, on mission for you to become more like Jesus, on mission for you to see sinners saved, the word of God opened up, people and lives and nations impacted for your glory. And that's what we're all committed to. Help us, Lord, to continue to grow, change, and allow the fruit of the Spirit to manifest in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.